Yes. Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. Welcome here. Thank you for joining us this morning from your homes. Uh, we hope that all of you are having a joyful Advent season, even though this is a different Christmas than really any of us have experienced before. I'm so thankful for the opportunity we have each week to come together from our homes across the city to worship God and to learn from his word together. Before we get into the word, I want to remind you of something important, which is that we are here for you. Now, I'm not saying that simply on behalf of the church staff, though that is true, but rather on behalf of the whole community. We are in this together. And especially as we continue to journey through Advent, we are in this together and we want to continue to find ways to support and love each other during this time. We know that Christmas is a time of joy and hope and peace, but for many of us, especially this year, this could be a time of isolation and loneliness. And so as a reminder, if you have prayer requests or other needs, please feel free to reach out to us. One way to do that is through our new live stream platform. You can actually submit prayer requests directly through the platform that you're already on through the chat feature. But you're also welcome to send us emails or messages through social media. No matter what, we would love to pray with you and walk with you during this season of your life. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in this all together. And thanks again for being here. Now this morning, we will be continuing our Advent series, as well as our series on 1 John, which is called Set Apart Together. Today we will be discussing a passage from the end of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5, and we'll learn how this passage connects perfectly to the Christmas message of hope, which we are celebrating today as we walk through Advent together. As you turn to 1 John chapter 5, in this passage, John is offering what many translations of scripture refer to as concluding affirmations. In this passage, John is covering and re-emphasizing many of the same teachings that he has referenced in his letter. These are the teachings that he does not want the church to forget. If you've ever done a PowerPoint presentation, if you've ever spoken in front of a group, then you know that's a very common way to end. You go back and you restate your most important points. So we can think of this passage of scripture as a kind of summary. However, he is doing so in such a way that helps us understand the truth of these teachings and that helps us apply to these, these teachings to our own lives in order to find hope. So let's read together our passage, 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. It says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, 
and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths that it teaches us. I pray this morning, Lord, we would grow to understand these truths on a deeper level and we would grow in our own lives as we continue to apply and remember and celebrate these truths during Advent. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, we will remind ourselves of a few central critical foundational teachings from this passage by referring back to the question, what do we know? In this passage, John uses the phrase, we know, seven different times. And by doing so, he is affirming these truths that are so foundational to our faith and to our identity as Christ followers. So as we walk through this passage, we will repeatedly ask the question, what do we know? And this morning, we will learn that through what we know from Scripture, we have hope in life and in the life to come. But before we ask this question that John answers in a few different ways in this passage, what do we know about this? What do we know about that? Let's begin by taking a step back. It's extremely important, if quite basic, to remind ourselves of how we find the answers to these questions in the first place. In this passage, as I said, John repeats, we know this, we know that, we know this. And it is so important for us to remember where we find the answers to his questions, where we find the proof of his statements. How does John know that we know what we know? How does John find the evidence for the statements that he makes in this passage? And here's why we're reminding ourselves of this. For those who have grown up in the church or who have followed Jesus for a long time, we often take the basic teachings of our faith for granted. Many of the teachings we are about to explore are foundational truths, but it can be so easy for us to make assumptions that what we currently believe and maybe think we've always believed is just true. It's true because it's true, and we don't question that. However, it's important for us to be reminded of how we know what we know about our faith. How we know that the statements John is making in this passage are true. What is the source that John is using and that we are to use to affirm what we know is true? This is so important because these teachings, if true, 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 not just helpful, not just good advice, if they are true, then they give us a foundation for hope that is unshakable. And I think you know where I'm going with this. The primary source for knowing what is true about our faith is the Bible. As a community, we believe that the Bible is true, inerrant, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe that it teaches us the truth about God, Jesus, and ourselves. We believe that it has, uh, to quote our statement of faith, supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. As a church, we believe that what the Bible teaches is true, that these statements are true, not simply a collection of good ideas and comforting stories and interesting turns of phrase. For example, when the Bible teaches that Jesus lived a life on earth, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead, we believe that isn't just a nice story. It's true. It happened. 
The Bible is the most trustworthy place that we go to learn about our faith and to learn about the hope that we have in Christ. In the previous passage, which Cam taught on last Sunday, John refers to something that he calls God's testimony. And he tells us that those who believe Jesus is the Son of God, Christians, uh, have accepted God's testimony. And he tells us that we know God's testimony, how? Well, in part because of the witness of the Spirit through his activity in the Scriptures. Now, there is so much more to be said about the Bible as our primary authority and a lot of interesting conversation and things to teach about why we believe it's true, why we believe it is accurate. But for now, we will end at this simple statement. The Bible is our first and highest source of teaching about our faith and about what is true. As we move on, as we discuss these teachings, it's so important for us to remember that These teachings are true because they are in Scripture. This is not simply a collection of John's thoughts or his best guess at what might be useful or what might be encouraging. He doesn't say, we think this or we sure hope this. He says, we know. And the way that Christ followers know they can put their trust in the promises we are about to read is because they are taught in Scripture. Frankly, these teachings cannot simply be helpful thoughts. If only helpful but untrue, they really don't help anybody. For them to truly give us hope during this season and all seasons of our lives, they must be true. And we believe they are. So this morning, we are going to ask the question, what do we know about three main areas in our lives that the passage addresses? What do we know about hope in prayer? What do we know about hope in life? And what do we know about hope in death? So first, prayer. John teaches us that we can have hope in the invitation that we have to talk to God and to bring him our prayer requests. In verse 14, John says that we can have confidence in approaching God. And he writes, if we ask anything according to his will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, although your translation and the one I just read from may say that we have confidence, quote, in approaching God, an even better translation may be that we have confidence in God's presence. In other words, as we grow in our personal relationship with God, as we experience his presence through worship and prayer by the Holy Spirit, we know that we can approach him boldly and bring him our prayer requests. And our passage says we know that he answers prayer. What an encouraging truth. We can trust as God's children that he always hears us and that he always answers our prayers. Now, while this passage may give us hope in knowing that God hears and answers our prayers, we must also discuss an important and potentially difficult part of this verse. The part that, if taken out of context, seems to say that God will answer our prayers exactly the way we want him to every time. Verse 15 in our passage, if you took it out of context, read it by itself, you ignored the passages around it, and frankly, most of the rest of the Bible, then you could become like a kid writing a letter to Santa Claus on Christmas, thinking that somehow God is obligated to give you anything you ask for, regardless of how 
or why you're asking for it. And there are a lot of people who may believe this. However, this approach is missing an important line in the previous passage. It says, if we ask anything according to his will. Notice how there's kind of a logical pattern here. If you've ever taken a philosophy course, you've learned about conditional statements, if-then statements. Look at what happens here. If we ask anything according to his will, and that's the important part, then he hears us. And if he hears us, then we know that we have what we asked of him. In other words, this passage is not an encouragement for us to pray self-centered prayers for ourselves. It's actually an encouragement for us to align ourselves with what Romans 12.2 calls God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And to align our way of thinking with God's way of thinking. One commentator wrote it this way, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will on God or somehow bending his will to ours, though we may make that mistake. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Now, there's so much more to be said about God's will, but here's an important truth for us to remember this morning. The primary place that we will find God's will for our lives is in the Bible. God has revealed his will to us in scripture. And so if we pray according to scripture, then we know that God hears us and that he answers us. And he may not always answer exactly the way that we think he will or want him to, but we know that as we align ourselves with his will through our relationship with him, through growing in our knowledge of scripture, we have hope in the freedom that we have to approach him. Another teaching about prayer that John gives us is in verse 16, where John teaches that we have hope in our ability to pray for our brothers and sisters, especially when they are struggling with sin. And so, if we know people who are working through sins in their lives, which frankly is all of us in different ways and at different times in our lives, we know that we have hope in lifting each other up in prayer to God. And this brings us hope in prayer as we pray for each other, but it also gives us hope in our relationships with each other. Now, this passage is an encouragement to pray for others. If we know people who are struggling, if they've confessed something to us, we know we have freedom in praying for them. But remember, sometimes we're tempted to think, oh great, I'll go and pray for other people. That's the least I can do. But this is also an encouragement to us to be vulnerable and honest, and transparent with people we trust if we are struggling with sin. This passage tells us we are invited to pray for other people, but the flip side of that is that other people are invited to pray for us. And so we do have a responsibility to be honest with each other when we are struggling. And we believe that when we do pray for each other, that God hears us and that he will, quote, give us life. Now, for believers, God giving us life does not mean that he restores our salvation to us as if we've somehow lost it. We believe that once we accept Christ, then we cannot lose our salvation through what we do or don't do. But rather, God giving us life refers to restoring back the fullness 
of the Christ-centered life that God wants us to live. The freedom over sin that God wants us to walk in. That we can live according to his will that he teaches us in his word. And what an amazing truth that as we pray for each other, as we lift each other up and support each other and hold each other accountable, that we can find that fullness of life that God brings into our lives when we're walking in step with him. Now, before we move on, we'll briefly address one more potentially problematic part. In verse 16, John refers to a sin that leads to death. And it's important for us to be clear about this. As a church, I've mentioned this already, we believe in eternal security. Meaning that those who accept Christ are secured in the hope of their salvation, regardless of what they do or don't do, or if they mess up or struggle with sin. Remember, this letter is written so that those who believe in the name of the Son of God know that they have eternal life. Rather, the sin that leads to death is the same sin that John addresses in 1 John chapter 2, where he teaches us about antichrists who deny that Christ is the Lord in the first place. In 1 John 2, 23, he says that no one who denies the Son has the Father. And this is what John is referring to. That which prevents someone from believing in Christ as Lord in the first place. For those who have accepted Christ, we have the hope of eternal life, even if, frankly, when we fall into sin. So in short, what do we know about hope in prayer? We know that we can approach him in confidence to pray and bring our requests according to his will. And we know that we can pray for our brothers and sisters. Next, what do we know about hope in life? Well, in this passage, John also teaches about the hope that we can experience throughout our lives because of the ways that God works in our lives. We may know that we have hope in our prayers, in the conversation that we have with God, but we also believe that God will work in and through our lives and will give us hope to become more like Jesus. In verse 18, we are taught that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Throughout the whole letter of 1 John, John has used the phrase born of God many times. And in many other places, he affirms that those who have accepted Christ can know what they can know about their lives as a result of their new birth. In 1 John 2, 3 to 4, he says that those who are born of God keeps his commands. In 1 John 2, 5 to 6, he says that those who are born of God live the same way that Christ lived. In 1 John 4, 6, he says that those who are born of God listen to and live by the word. So once again, in our passage today, John is affirming a lifestyle of transformation and growth for Christ followers, that we are kept safe in our identity as children of God, and that we can overcome sin in our lives. We have hope in the transformation God brings into our lives. Now, of course, as we've learned throughout our series, this growth implies progress, not perfection. This promise doesn't mean that we will become perfect in our lifetime because we all struggle with sin. 
However, it does mean that as we grow in our relationship with God, we can be sanctified by the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. Even though, as our passage teaches us, the evil one will try to harm us and tempt us, we know that we can experience freedom and victory over sin through our relationship with the one who was born of God. And it's a capital O and it's a reference to Christ. This is true hope for our lives. This means that as a result of being born of God, we have been given strength to overcome sin in our lives. And though we may still wrestle with it in different ways and at different times in our lives, we know we have confidence in approaching God to ask for forgiveness and to ask for strength to overcome it. This is part of what John means in verse 20 when he says that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. For those who are in Christ, we know we can walk in freedom and peace during our lives, knowing that we are kept safe and knowing that we are being transformed into Christ's image. As theologian John Stott says, the Christian can only hope to keep the commandments of God if the Son of God keeps him. And our passage affirms that Christ does indeed keep us. So what do we know about hope in life? We know that we are given strength and protection to be free from sin in our lives. We know that we are being sanctified and transformed to become more like Jesus. And we know that we are invited to walk in freedom, even if we still struggle. And to connect it to the previous part of our passage, we also know that we are given the gift of community when we mess up. A place where we can go to ask for help and prayer when we make mistakes. Finally, what do we know about hope in death? In our passage, John reminds us in a few different ways that those who believe in the name of the Son of God can know that they have eternal life. Those who have been born of God can know they have hope in death, that they have hope in spending eternity with God. In a sense, the entire letter of 1 John has been pointing to this truth. John wants us to know, to have assurance that we have eternal life if we are in Christ. And this is a truth, as I've referenced already, that is affirmed throughout all of Scripture. In John 3.16, we famously learn that through God giving his one and only son, Jesus, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In John 10.28, Jesus teaches that he is the one who gives us eternal life and that we will never perish. In Romans 6.23, Paul teaches that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And in 1 John 5, 11, a verse written right before our passage, John tells us clearly that God's testimony is that he has given us eternal life in Jesus. Now, let me be honest with you for a moment. I don't know about you, but honestly, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about heaven. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what will happen after I die. Maybe that's because I'm young. I don't know if that changes as we get older. But I often get so caught up in the responsibilities and the schedule of my everyday life that I sometimes forget 
about the hope that we have in death through Christ. Even up here, when I come to teach, when I think about the Christian life and when I teach on it, my default is more often to think about what it means for us today. What it might mean practically for our daily lives. Uh, The importance of spiritual disciplines. The necessity of loving our neighbors. These are some of my favorite themes to teach on. For many of us, honestly, myself included sometimes, heaven or eternal life is sometimes an afterthought. Something I believe, but that doesn't really come up in my thoughts or conversations very often, except for maybe at funerals or during tragedies. However, As during this past week, I thought about it more as I was preparing for this morning. And as I hope you will find time during the Christmas season to think about it. During the Christmas season, we can remember this amazing hope that we have in Christ. Sometimes we need to remember to remember about this hope. This life and especially this season may be hard and it has its ups and downs. But no matter what we know that we can have hope that one day we will be with God forever. Our ultimate hope in everything is knowing that in Christ, our salvation is secured. Through Christ, we learn from the word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit that we can have hope in death, hope to be with God forever. So what do we know about hope in death? Simply, that we will be with God. Now, as we conclude, I want to draw an important point from these previous three. All three of the areas that we have talked about today, prayer, life, and death, have one thing in common, which is God. What do we know about hope and prayer? That God will hear us and will answer our prayers if we pray according to his will. What do we know about hope in life? That God will walk with us, will keep us safe from sin, and transform us as we become more like Christ. What do we know about hope in death? That God will save us from death and give us eternal life through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Ultimately, in this Advent season, especially this Advent season, we need to be reminded that God is where we find our hope and peace. This may be a difficult Christmas for you. Maybe you live on your own. Maybe you won't be able to see your family and friends. Maybe you're struggling financially because this was a hard year. And if that's you, I'm sorry. But let me say this. Our hope, our hope in in today, our hope in tomorrow, and even our hope for this Christmas is found only in God and in growing through our relationship with him as we rely on the promises that we've read about. Right now, especially in the media, our world is talking a lot about hope. In the last few days, people have begun finding and talking about hope again, especially as there's been encouraging uh, news about COVID-19 vaccine developments. In fact, just a few days ago, the Pfizer vaccine was approved for use in Canada. And so, in our public discourse, for that reason and for a few others, people are starting to have hope again that life will begin to return to normal in 2021 and that we can begin hopefully returning to our lives as they were before. Maybe that's true. And personally, (laughs) I hope so. But for Christ followers, 
we need to be reminded today through the words of our passage that our hope is not ultimately found in the lifting of restrictions or in the ability to gather together in person during the holidays. Ultimately, our hope is found in God. And no matter what happens next year and in the years to come, we, to use John's word, know that we have hope in prayer, hope in our lives, and ultimately hope in death. As John writes in the last verse of our passage, verse 20, we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, as our world around us begins to have a conversation about hope and starts to put their hope in things besides you, Lord, remind us that ultimately, above all else, our hope is found in you. Thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in prayer to bring you our requests, to have an honest conversation with you, and to be in community, to pray for other people and ask them to pray for us. There's so much hope in that freedom. Thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in life, that you will keep us from sin, that you will help us to walk in freedom and victory over sin. We have hope in the defeat that Jesus brings into our life over sin. And ultimately, Lord, thank you for the hope we have in death, that no matter what may happen in our lives, no matter what may come, ultimately we know we will be with you. That hope is an unshakable foundation for our lives. And so today, Lord, wherever we are at in our faith, whether we are walking closely with you or maybe you're a distant stranger to some of us, I pray this morning we would be reminded through these words of scripture, through your spirit, that we have hope. No matter what happens with COVID, no matter what happens with Christmas, no matter what happens with the economy, we have hope. Thank you, Lord, for this hope. Thank you for these promises that are affirmed in scripture. And thank you, Lord, for ultimately being our hope. In your name we pray. Amen.